0: Good morning. Good morning. I'll be reading uh, from the book of Revelation, chapter 20, and verses 11 through 15. It says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sits upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. Then I saw the dead the great and small standing before the throne and books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life and the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds and the sea gave up the dead which were in it and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them and they were judged every one of them according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire.
1: sobering words, don't you think, from the book of Revelation, reminding us that every person in this room, whether they're thinking about it or not, is building a certain type of life day by day, choice by choice. Building a certain kind of life that will be scrutinized and judged by God Himself one day. One day, uh, for each of us, the kind of life that we've built um, will be of eternal consequence. And this morning, we turn again to the Sermon on the Mount. We're in Matthew 7 this morning. With, by God's grace, finishing our, our study in the Sermon on the Mount. And, and so for those of you who who thought we're never going to finish the study of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, let me just say in Christian love, neener, neener, um, because we'll finish it today. Um, and, and Jesus ends this incredible message from heaven, from his heart, With the reminder that the kind of life we build depends upon the foundation we build upon. So so be thinking of that simple metaphor foundation. Beneath the service. What isn't seen, just between you and God. Build upon Christ, trust in Him. Surrender to Him. Live in allegiance to Him. Because only the life built upon Christ will withstand the storm of God's eternal wrath toward sinners. And to merely pretend to build upon Christ, to just go through the motions of religious activity, to pay lip service to faith, is to build toward your own eternal destruction. Says who? Says Jesus. This is the gospel according to Jesus. And for three different portions of the the ending of this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been using different word pictures to help his listeners visualize this wonderful truth of what it is to belong to him by faith and also see what it is and how consequential it is to be a mere pretender. Remember, the gospel according to Jesus is both a kind welcome but also a clear warning and I I want us to just hear both. Let's hear the welcome and the warning in um, verse 24 of Matthew 7. Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and the rivers came, and the winds blew and fell against that house, and yet it did not fall. For it had been founded on the rock. And everyone hearing these words of mine and not doing them may be compared to a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and great was its fall. Now, this parable is familiar to us, isn't it? How many of you grew up singing about this in Sunday school? Some of us are... Of that era, yeah. Some of you are in denial, but you know what I'm talking about. Um, so familiar. A person's life is likened to building a house. The the life is the house, and the life is built on a on a particular foundation. Is it rock? So that it's anchored to a a stable, immovable strength that runs deep. Or is it built on sand, which is another way of saying there is no foundation? All other ground is sinking sand. And, and and the difference between the two houses, the two lives, says Jesus, is the difference between obedience and disobedience. Don't miss that. Now I want you to notice with me that outwardly these two houses appear to be the same. They look identical. The same way people here today sit side by side. The reality of the heart known only to them in God. The, the, one builder is wise, literally in his right mind. This builder knows what to do with the truth she has received from Jesus. Jesus. Do you? Or are you one who simply knows about Jesus? What a difference there is between knowledge and wisdom. This first builder is wise. But how foolish it is to know about Jesus and yet not respond rightly. And so Jesus says, that, well, there's this other builder who, who is foolish. Uh, the, the same uh, Greek word morose uh, gives us the English word moron. And it's, it's not, not in the funny sense. There's nothing funny about it. Um, the foolish builder is moronic in, in that he has, he's not in his right mind. He merely nods his head to the truth about Jesus. And he sings the songs about Jesus. And he goes to the building with the cross on it like everybody else. But in his heart, there is a spirit of self-rule. The word therefore in verse 24, we're making tremendous progress here, aren't we? Takes us back to the preceding statements from Jesus. Remember, when you see the word therefore in Scripture, you're meant to say, hey, I wonder what it's there for. And so you look at the stuff ahead of it, right? And Jesus has used these different word pictures to help us understand what it is to be someone who has entered the kingdom as opposed to someone who's a poser, someone who's just performing religious stuff. Verse 21 Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, in your name did we not prophesy. In your your name cast out demons and in your name do many miracles. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. This is astounding what Jesus is seeing here. His, his first listeners on this hillside overlooking the Sea of Galilee are, peop- are, are religious people. The, the, they grew up learning religion from their teachers. And Jesus says there is such a person who says all the right things and seems to do many of the right things who doesn't even know me. Remember that the not everyone in verse 21, not everyone um, is referring to church people. In other words, religious people. This isn't a contrast between um, those who are in the visible church and those who couldn't care less about the visible church. No, this is describing the visible church. Not everyone there who says, Lord, Lord, not everyone who professes to have an intimate subordinate uh, saving allegiance to Jesus in fact does. And those who don't are like unto a house built with no foundation. Looks good, will not withstand judgment. You mean there are posers and performers in the visible church? Yeah, yeah. There are the self-deceived, for sure. And there are those who are deceiving others, for sure, says Jesus. And they're right among the company of genuine believers, just like those two identical houses sitting side by side. And Jesus, to some, will say, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You can't read this with an active conscience at all and not sit up straight and say, good heavens, what what is he talking about here? This sounds kind of serious. I mean, this this sounds really consequential, doesn't it? Doesn't it? If you don't respond, I'll ask again. (laughs) Notice the word lawless, as in lawlessness, um, verse 23. It's the word anomia. In other words, it refers to those who are indifferent to the law of God. Over the last several weeks, um, a time or two anyway, I've mentioned the term antinomianism, meaning against law. These are people who who have no use whatsoever for the law of God. You know, we, we don't care about God's law. We're grace people. That, that's antinomianism. This is a different word here. Lawlessness. Anomianism suggests an indifference to the law. It's referring to those who simply pick and choose which parts of the law of God matter and which parts, in their opinion, do not matter. And I ask you today, do you think that still happens among people today? Sure it does. If we agree with it, we'll stand for it and even live it out. If we don't agree with it, we'll not stand for it. And we'll just say, well, that must have been for an earlier time in human history. Do you guys care if this is practical for a minute? I'm I'm thinking of um, Whitworth University um, just last week announcing that the board of that university um, have decided to change their bylaws to allow for sexual orientation to be a matter of preference um, with respect to students and staff. They would quibble with how I worded it, for sure, but, but... that's the deal. Um, and, and, I, and I just ask you, you know, with all due respect to Whitworth University, does that not seem like anomianism? You, you pick and choose the part of God's law that you think matters, and you get rid of the part of God's law that you'd just as soon not be there because after all the world is a changing place and you know if we want to get along with other people we're going to have to we're going to have to kind of get rid of some of this stuff and despite the claims of such an institution that, that is an anti-gospel position i want you to just notice with me how jesus contrasts lawlessness with true allegiance to him. Look at verse 21 again. He says, those who are in the kingdom are those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. So that the the kingdom of heaven, the, the true church, is made up of people who are not just right talkers only and not just who kind of do religious stuff but not from the heart, but those who have surrendered to Christ who have been overwhelmed by his grace, awash in his mercy towards sinners. They've been born again. And those who are born again are born again to a new life, a different kind of life than the life that is lived by those apart from Christ. The true church is comprised of people who by grace obey the will of God from the heart. And I have to stop here and just remind you, this is, this is the gospel according to Jesus. This is not my material. Because some of you might be saying, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Um, you're making it sound like we're saved by our obedience. You're making it sound like we're saved by obedience to the law. Please don't think that. We're saved by grace through faith in the work of Christ alone. Amen? So don't, don't misunderstand. There's a reason this teaching is at the end of the Sermon on the Mount and not at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is not speaking here in Matthew 7 about how to get into the kingdom. He's describing the nature of those who truly belong to the kingdom. In fact, Jesus has already said back in verse 13 of Matthew 7, enter through the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction and there are many who enter through it for the gate is narrow and the way is constricted that leads to life and there are few who find it. The the gate comes before the road. Don't miss that. The gate comes before the way. And Jesus says, the gate into the kingdom of heaven, it's a narrow gate. In fact, I remember just a few weeks ago, we decided, or I said it, nobody disagreed. Um, It's as narrow as the cross of Jesus. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And so, this invitation, this, this kind welcome, is, is, is for you who have not yet heeded. Enter. Who, who is to enter? You're to enter. Repent of your sin. Trust wholly upon Christ for your salvation. He is the narrow gate. In John's gospel, Jesus says this Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. Praise God. So at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, in the Beatitudes, Jesus was describing how you get into the kingdom. Remember, the king's blessed people are are those who are poor in spirit. They, They understand that they've been born in sin. They are hopelessly separated from God because of their sin They know their poverty of spirit. Do you? And the the king's blessed people are those who mourn over their sinfulness. It matters to them. And they repent. And the scripture says they are comforted. They now hunger for a righteousness that they do not possess within themselves. And they find this righteousness in their king and savior, Jesus And they're satisfied. That's the narrow gate. And the caution of Matthew 7 is that this narrow gate of repentance and faith in Christ always opens up onto a constricted way, a difficult way. Some of your Bibles say a hard way. Hard in what sense? Well, the thing that will not fit through the gate is your self-sufficiency, The thing that won't fit through the gate is the works that you do, the religious stuff that you would point to and say, God's going to do me a solid now for sure. That's all going to have to go. It makes you feel good, but the scripture says that's just baggage that won't fit through the gate. And, And going through the narrow gate, having gotten rid of all of that baggage, no matter how religious it seems, is to begin walking on a constricted way. You, you're, because you've been born of the Spirit of God, you live differently from all of those who don't know Jesus. And you want to. Because Jesus invaded your life and he changed your want to. Are you hearing this? I don't mean that. This. It's horrible timing for that. It's the difficult way of glad obedience to the will of God in a world that ignores God's will. An anomian world, a world that picks and chooses which parts of God's law matter. Let me give you a quick example from Scripture. Paul says this to Timothy. This is um, 1 Timothy. He says, but we know that the law is good. If one uses it lawfully knowing this, that law is not made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and godless, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for sexually immoral persons, for homosexuals, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching according to the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Now just think about that. Does it not seem to you that that is the very kind of passage where a person who is... Not in their right mind, spiritually, might say, well, some of that sounds pretty good. I mean, I don't think we should run around killing our parents. That sounds monstrous, doesn't it? Of course it does. Please agree with me when I say that. (laughs) Some of you are like, well. Um, But listen, is that not the kind of passage that many in the professing church today would say, you know, some of that, I don't think we need that. These are different times. Like, that can't be talking about today. The gospel which we, church, have been given stewardship of uh, does not lead one to pick and choose which parts of God's law matter. That, that's a false gospel. So here Jesus in Matthew 7 confronts the, the lawless, the anomian And remember, that the, the kingdom of heaven is, is that realm in which Christ truly reigns as king. Not, not as an idea, you know, as a, as a concept to say, oh, that sounds really good. No, it's, it's the realm in which Christ reigns as king. And so here is a passage that, that once again causes us to sit up straight and say, well, who, who's, who's the king in my life? Am I ready to be ruled by another because that's what the gospel does is jesus my king or am i yet under self rule picking and choosing which of his truth i think should apply to me because you can fit in just fine with the jesus people as one who picks and chooses the stuff that works for you says who says jesus The foundation is that part that is not visible. Genuine salvation is a powerful work of God in the soul. Remember Jesus said to Nicodemus, Marvel not that I say to you, you must be born again. Born of the Spirit. It's birthed when we grab hold of Christ as Savior and it is then lived out in Godward thinking and living okay so all of that to do with review all of it comes from that one word therefore Um, therefore that does not count against my time Um, the sermon starts now and it's short I mean it's pretty short Um, that one word therefore though seriously should remind us of all of that that's what Jesus has been talking about at the end of this sermon on the mount Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and the rivers came, and the winds blew and fell against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Now, you you can go to subdivisions in Coeur d'Alene and Hayden and see this very thing, houses that look identical, right? And maybe people paint them different colors just for the sake of, you know, kind of livening up the neighborhood a little bit. But but they're, they're basically the same house. And, and from the street, they all look just nice. And Jesus says, in the visible church, it, it can be kind of like that. It's just that imagine one of the homes has no foundation. It's just sitting there on a bright sunny day and looks fine and, until the storm comes. I'm remembering... Um, when Pam and I were first married um, and moved over here to Idaho, I did something that, um, for the young guys, let me just throw this out as a, as a helpful suggestion. Um, don't ever pick out a house for the family without your wife seeing it or knowing certain things about it. That's, that's, a, that's a rookie mistake. And, but I, I did it, and I picked out this little house that we were going to rent in, um, over by the hospital, and it was just this cute little turn-of-the-last-century house. Um, not, not, it's pretty old, over 100 years old. And a cute little yellow house, and it had white trim, and it even had a little porch. I always thought a porch would be kind of cool. And, um, and, and so I, 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 good news, honey, I rented us a house. And we moved into that place, and it was just an unmitigated disaster. I mean, you could spill water at the kitchen sink, but to clean it up, you had to go to the back door. Because the, the water would run to the back door. I'm not making this up. And I, I got under the house one winter for reasons I don't have time to go into relating to frozen pipes. And, and the house is just sitting on logs. It's Just sitting on logs. Big ones, you know, back in the day. And, uh, you know, back in the day, that sounded like a really swell idea, you know. A hundred years later, terrible idea. I mean, the house is just falling apart. It matters what the foundation is. It matters how deep down it goes. Appearance isn't the issue. So here are two people sitting beside each other in church and they speak a lot alike and they sing the same songs and they do a lot of the same religious stuff. They even go to the same Bible studies. But then a storm comes, get this, and then for one of them, their Christianity is just gone. Have you ever seen this happen in the church? And our hearts are broken when we experience this all that they once said about Jesus, all that they once did, all that they once professed to believe. They went on mission trips and to Bible camps and all of the doctrine they memorized and the ribbons they got at Iwana and all of that stuff, it's all gone when the storm comes. Are you hearing this? The Bible offers no assurance. No security, no comfort to the one who merely professes Christ and plays at religion a little bit but has never really surrendered to his gracious rule. The Bible calls that repentance. It's a work of the Spirit of God. And so the question for any of us here this morning is simply, are we foolish or are we wise? Spiritually speaking, are we in our right minds from heaven's perspective? Those of you who who read the, um, what do we call it? Connections, the Pastor Graham thing. Um, Anybody read that? Okay, so did you look up those scriptures? Some of them? Okay. Jesus, John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. Loyal love for the king shows up in living for the king, obeying his word. Perfectly? No, we don't do that perfectly. But our want to has been changed, right? We want to follow Jesus. Verse 23 of John 14. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. First John five two and three. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. What, what what's wonderfully strange language that is! What, what, what does it mean by not burdensome? Well, again, our heart has been changed. Our want to has been changed by the Spirit of God. And we want to walk in His ways however imperfectly we may do so. And this business of playing the part, posing as a Christian, has been a contagion in the visible church since the beginning. Again, these are not my words. Um, Ancient Israel, for example, uh, was comprised of those who named God. Those of you who hear when, when we went through Uh, the book of Hosea, for example. You know, people going through the motions of naming God and, you know, we're so glad we're part of God's special group and uh, no love for God whatsoever. No no respect for his word in practical daily living whatsoever. Listen listen to what the scripture says in in the book of Judges. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. And that's, that's... not all that unlike the world today, is it? Everybody just does what is right in his own eyes, as if there is no king. Proverbs 30, and verse 12, there is a generation that is clean in its own eyes, yet is not washed from its filthiness. Jesus half-brother, James, puts it this way. James 1, he says, but become doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he looked at himself and has gone away, he immediately forgot what kind of person he was. Friends, I have to tell you, I've been praying all week that in light of the words of our Savior that we consider today, would you please look past me and just look into the mirror of God's word? Would all of us just look into the mirror of God's word that we might see reality? And Jesus does not give this warning at the end of the Sermon of the Mount so that we all go home depressed, we all go home dejected, discouraged. No, he, he wanted his first listeners, what he wants from his listeners here today, and that is to not be deluded, to not be foolish in a religious setting Proverbs 21, verse 2, every man's way is right in his own eyes, but Yahweh weighs the heart. And so, so here is a passage that demands us to consider the foundation we're building our life on. Are we building upon the rock that is Christ Jesus? Or are we building upon what the Bible calls sand? No foundation at all and there will always be those who hear a message like this and say no that's that's legalism so let me just say this for the sake of clarity obedience is not the cause of your christianity don't misunderstand that that's not what jesus is saying but he is saying that obedience is the result of your christianity if it's real Nobody has an encounter with the living God in Christ Jesus and is left unchanged. That's not possible. So we can look at the general pattern of our lives with the help of the Holy Spirit and and just ask ourselves, in light of what we've studied in the Sermon on the Mount, um, when when we hear from the Lord, do we do what he says? This this is big grand stuff. I don't mean easy, but just simple to understand. What has Jesus been talking about? Well, what about the way I treat my enemies? Is is that changing by God's grace? I mean, even the people who belong to that other party, those guys, that's not a joke. We tarnish the gospel when we think that's a joke. What about my thought life? I mean, God wants to own that? Jesus is king of that? What about your expressed sexuality? In a world that says that just doesn't matter. What about forgiving those who truly have hurt us? The scars are still there. It still hurts. What about our relationship with remaining sin? Do we battle it? Is the the conscience aware of that, battling sin? Do you realize that's normal Christianity? Paul says in Romans 7, Man, the stuff I want to do, I don't do. The stuff I don't want to do, I keep doing that stuff. Who's going to save me from this? Oh, Jesus. So that's normal Christianity. Christianity what's abnormal what is not christianity is what i mentioned earlier ah nomianism just not caring ambivalence Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain descended and the rivers came and the winds blew and fell against that house and yet it did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. The rain, the floods, the wind, all of it referring to the same thing, all of it descriptive of the storm of God's wrath, the storm of judgment, the rain will wash away all pretense. The, the, the wind will blow away all that merely looks religious and churchy. Just as Noah's flood, the storm of God's wrath will overwhelm all but those who have taken safe harbor in the ark that is Christ Jesus. Amen? Are you in Christ? Are you secure because you're clothed in his righteousness? You're safe because you've been washed in the cleansing power of his shed blood. And just as Jesus rose from the grave, his tomb is empty. You've been risen in Christ to a new life, a spirit-led life. And everyone hearing these words of mine and not doing them may be compared to a foolish man who built his house on the sand And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell. And great was its fall. And and, you know, I got to tell you, I mean, thus ends the Sermon on the Mount. And and you might be thinking to yourself, well, how strange? Because, you know, I seem to read, I think I've read somewhere that at preacher school, they teach you you should probably end on a high note. I mean always 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 make them leave kind of tickled, you know? How many of you are glad this morning that Jesus is not like that? That he loves you enough to give you the truth straight up. And it, and it does occur to me that this 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 warning though it's clear is also very kind how is it kind it's kind because none of us is before the judge right now that's why it's it's kind because the narrow gate is still open that's why There is still time to build your life on the foundation of real faith in Christ. Not pretend. Not a religious pretense. And if the Spirit of God is so moving in you right now, I urge you to repent and grab hold of Christ by faith. You say, well, I don't know if he'll have me. I've been faking it for decades, sitting in churches for years. Listen, I read ahead. I do that every once in a while. I think it's expected of me. I read into Matthew 8. You should probably do the same this week. And we're going to see Jesus approached by a leper. And you know Jesus moves toward that leper when everybody else would run away. And it wasn't because he didn't hear the leper crying out unclean, unclean. He came to heal and clean up that leper with love in his heart. So I urge you today, friend, repent and trust in Christ. Notice the response to Jesus' sermon. And and we'll end with this. Some of you are getting kind of fidgety. Now it happened that when Jesus had finished these words... The crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. And, you know, I don't, I don't want to let this go unsaid. That, that word astonished, that, that means that the people who heard this the first time were emotionally rattled. I mean, just think of that. They, they were jarred. They were overwhelmed with surprise, shocked at Jesus' message. Why? Because they hadn't heard the truth before. What they had heard is that if they just went through all the religious rites and rituals, and if they just named God and memorized enough of the hymn book, they were good to go. And that didn't seem right, because it wasn't. But now what they've heard is the truth. And they're shocked at Jesus' message. And I pray that there may be some who are shocked at Jesus' message still today. Because we live in a world that still insists, hey, put a fish on your bumper and you're good to go. I mean, just get the t-shirt, right? God forgive us. The crowds were astonished at his teaching for he was teaching them as one having authority. Do you realize there is no greater authority anywhere ever than the authority of King Jesus? And I want to just encourage you to have in your minds just now as you leave. Remember what Jesus did with his authority. He taught this true gospel, the gospel of repentance, the gospel of the narrow gate, the gospel of the constricted way. And what did he do after that? Jesus, with his authority, lived every single day of his life in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus lived in the Spirit in such a way that he always and only fulfilled the will of the Father. And he didn't do it for show. He did it for you. He did it so that one day he might offer as a substitute his perfect life for your sinful life. And Jesus with his authority was born into humanity. Eternal God, God the Son born into time. Specifically to undergo a judgment that you deserve. To take upon himself the wrath of God. That's what the cross is about. Jesus taking hell for his people. You see, without the cross of Jesus, there aren't two ways. There's just the broad gate that opens and leads to destruction. Only because of the cross of Jesus is there this narrow gate of which Jesus says to you this morning, enter, enter. It's still open. It's still open. With divine authority, Jesus not only died that death that no other human death would accomplish, Jesus rose from the dead. The life of God in a man named Jesus so that all who believe upon him might enjoy the life of God within them for all eternity, not just now. And, and I urge you to consider, friend, do you really think Jesus would do all of that just to say with respect to the Sermon on the Mount, oh, never mind, I didn't really mean that. What foundation are you building on? The, the rock that is Christ Jesus? Or sand? All right, well, that, that's it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your great love for us that you would speak such liberating truth to us that we might not be self-deceived or deceived through our ignorance, that saving faith in you is a faith that changes us from the inside out. It's a new birth. And Lord, I pray that by your spirit you have worked among so many of us gathered here that we have ears to hear, that that we have hearts that are soft and shapeable now, and we're so imperfect and so aware of our sinfulness. And yet, Lord, you've given us, your people, a heart that wants to walk in your ways and make you known. And Jesus, I pray that as you have been lifted up in your word, you would draw sinners to yourself. I pray for uh, that person here, that man or woman here who is um, just hanging out with the Jesus people. But Lord, would you would you... Would you soften that crusty heart? Lord, would you allow your kind welcome to be heated? Would you bring salvation in this place, this day? And we ask you this for your...